Welcome to Take Note. This is our podcast about uh, keeping a notebook in our pocket and uh, pulling it out and writing things down uh, when they happen to us in the world and, uh, and trying to make sense of uh, what it means to do that and to read things to each other and, and give someone else the privilege of making sense of what we've written. <laughs> I do that with my old friend, Adam. Hello, Adam. Hey, Ted. I was just thinking... Uh, when we tried to record the opening the first time, I like to say sometimes on the show that we've been friends for 20 years, and I did the math. And we've been friends for 25 years now. Time keeps on slipping <laughs> into the future uh, against and despite uh, our best efforts. And uh, I think Joan Dinian probably thinks that keeping a notebook is some sort of strange stay against the uh, the inevitable loss that... Uh, it comes from that passage of time. But, you know, we'll, we'll get into all that later. That's right. Before we do that, before we do that, we, we start the show by uh, asking each other what we've written in our notebook this week. So, Ted, what do you got? Okay. Uh, I just wrote this down. I walked into the kitchen and heard the sound of water. My God, a leak, I thought. Where is it? What do I do? Alas, it was the sound of running water coming from the Google Home station, which we call the Hey Google, a sound I had myself 10 minutes prior activated when the Hey Google asked me, do you want to play something relaxing? (laughs) The Hey Google said, do you you want to change into something more comfortable? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, which I hammered the, the play button. I regretted it. What do you got, Adam? All right, well, uh, we try to make these what do you got's funny, and uh, I think you did that. And I don't know, I can't tell. I've been thinking about it all day. I can't tell if this one's funny or not. I'll be I'll be the this judge is, of that. Yeah, this is like, you know, maybe this is like one of those um, talk of the towns that like might be brilliant, but you're not sure. I mean, it's not brilliant, but... If, if it's... So I'm going to... I will be like a producer <laughs> on a 90s sitcom. I will... I will laugh a big fake no, laugh no, to show okay. where the to where the punchline should hit. No, it's alright. It might be it might be poetic. Uh, anyway, okay. so uh, <laughs> conversation in the office today. I said, uh, "You hear about this place that is uh, COVID testing place that they might have been faking the COVID test results?" Uh, I said, uh, "I just read that the Minnesota Attorney General sued them." So I don't know if this is like a national story, but there's a there's a place. Uh, based out of the Chicago suburbs where I live that um, may have been faking the COVID tests. So anyway, I say this to my coworker. And uh, as I say this, she realizes that the place she got tested after an exposure this weekend was probably the place that they're suing for, uh, for faking the test results. And she then fled the office like it was March of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> So where you're headed over there to get your COVID test now? I imagine. I think they've closed down now. Did you was it? Had you heard about that story? Is that like national news? I I, I think I heard of it vaguely, but I would never. I, I wouldn't know any details. Right. It's a generic sounding testing name to tie it all together. There's a there's a testing center near me that has no fewer than 150 cheap. Uh, like yard signs plastered <laughs> yeah. all over the property, which does not inspire a lot of confidence right. about its legitimacy. Right. There's a place. There's a place by me that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you remember that website. Like, uh, 
used to be a Pizza Hut. This place used to be a florist. And now uh, <laughs> people line up. And there's no... You, I can see in the windows. They haven't, like, done anything inside. It looks like it used to be a florist. But they'll swab <laughs> your nose when you walk in. Anyway. What do you got, Ted? Uh, if you pay extra, they'll, they'll swab it with an old uh, gold rose. Right. Okay. It's a funny thing in life to be reading about the sensitive, tortured souls of the Bloomsbury group one day, and the next to be coaching a Little League baseball team. I'll I'll file that under poetic. Okay. All right. (laughs) Just struck, I was just reading this, you know, 50,000 word piece of criticism from Janet Malcolm in 1995, uh, Virginia Woolf and and the, their coterie just getting uh, swept up in that uh in that you know post World War 1 uh, London world of l- literature and art and thought you know what I got to figure out what drills I'm going to do tomorrow for those 7-year-olds or it's going to be trouble Oh that's nice that's very that's like it's a very art of fielding right <laughs> I don't remember who wrote that book. I read that book. I don't remember a single thing about it except the guy got the yips and couldn't throw to first base anymore. That's all I remember. I remember they uh, they had like did they have to dig up a guy? Might be a spoiler. Art of fielding. Spoiler. Don't rec- I have no no recollection of that whatsoever. Yeah. Despite reading that book and in fact uh, orchestrating a months long uh, reading club on my pre- on my blog pictures and poets. Uh, still, still don't remember that part. Doesn't, doesn't speak well. Well, I hope you remember the essay. I'm keeping a notebook by Joan Didion. I read that only slightly more recently. Because <laughs> we're going to discuss it, and hopefully, you'll <laughs> lead the discussion. Well, I, I, I love that it's an essay, just literally about keeping a notebook, and I have to say, it. She is speaking to you and me specifically yep uh in terms of the kind of notebook she's talking about and these were some of the um i mean that's what what stood out to me um she just she says things things like you know it's not about fact it's not a diary um it's an inch i wrote it's an, an erratic assemblage and i thought there you go I'm your audience. Go on, Miss Didion. She describes uh, she describes notebook keepers, and and she's including herself in this as oh yes, anxious so. malcontents, children afflicted <laughs> apparently at birth with some presentiment for loss. Um, and I liked that. I but I liked I liked this idea that she was arguing. I don't know at the beginning of the essay that people that keep notebooks are trying to capture or hold or hold on to things. That was very interesting. And I, I, I can't deny that there really is a component of that. And we've talked about it many times over the years, but this, this feeling that if you should let something pass without writing it down, that it will be lost forever. And I think we tend to think of it in small terms, like, Oh, that funny turn of phrase or, or something uh, she manages in her Joan Didion way to, to make that kind of small loss into 
the the loss that is inherent in being a human being you know mourning her 17 year old self and her 23 year old self and and uh and all the way down the line and i you know i thought her first what i loved about it even from the very beginning of this essay is that she in the writing style she, she is taking you through what it's like for her to read her own notes i mean that's where she throws you into the middle of it and it's kind of all over the place it's a it's an erratic assemblage uh but that she that she pushes the reader to to go along with her and she sort of carries that through the whole essay yeah this um you know this thing about holding on to things and not forgetting things that presentiment for loss it reminds me and i sure I must have mentioned this on our show before, but I was in a bar in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and two men from Montreal uh, who, who, when they found out that I had a young, this has got to be, I don't know, when, I had, when they found out I had one young child at the time, they were uh, both just insistent. You have to write everything down. You write down the names of their friends. You write down everything they say. And I was already keeping a notebook at this time, and I pulled my notebook out of my pocket, and I said, yes, I am doing that. And and we were uh, there was some beer involved, so they kept urging me. They they wouldn't, you know, they insisted. You have to write it down. You have to write it down. You can't forget these things. Their their kids were college age, right? And they were, uh, they were they had they had lost something already. You said to them, "You two chaps seem like a couple of malcontents <laughs> yeah. that from your birth yeah. had a a." a pre-sentiment towards loss etc yeah so well that's interesting i mean that they you know perhaps they uh forgot to think about that until their kids were in college whereas some of us were obsessed with that from uh from the very beginning right perhaps. uh so joan didion also writes in here i always had trouble distinguishing between what happened and what merely might have happened but i remain unconvinced that the distinction for my purposes matters which thought that was interesting there there's a couple of reasons i find that interesting i really identify with that um i honestly believe that one of the reasons i never became a journalist was because i think i heard things the way i want to hear i think i hear things the way i want to hear them like in the more interesting Mm. way than in the way they may have actually been spoken um so i identified with that but i wonder i don't think (laughs) having confessed to that i i don't think i write things down in my notebook the way that uh the way it might have happened and i wonder if you do or if you fictionalize your notes so uh, you know in the last few days as you've collected this wonderful group of uh of thoughts on notebooks that we'll touch on later um and then reading this and doing and reading some other stuff I, i think different different notebook keepers think of it differently but for me my take is I want to capture the specific turn of phrase that I hear that feels to me like something I would not be able to come up with myself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if it's a quotation, which I think we, we tend to do that a lot, that's what I want to get it word for word um, because I, I'm, I'm convinced on some level that, that what I think of will never match that because it happened, you know, in the spur of the moment or it's someone, you know, someone... <laughs> is this in a situation that I wouldn't be in or they have a viewpoint that I could never quite inhabit. So so 
to me, I want to capture the fact of the matter. And it was a little shocking even um, to read Didion kind of, you know, she, she, like she goes through how her family's like, that's not how it happened at all. And she more or less doesn't care. Right. Um, that was shocking to me because I do tend to think of her as a nonfiction writer, which of course, you know, is he, he, the last 50 years of uh, creative writing classes have, you know, tried to tackle that that moniker but she's in the the bruce chatwin realm of you know the the fictional process is at work kind of thing right right which i i think i'm even a little surprised to hear you say that you fall into that camp too i mean it's it's yeah pleasant but when surprise. chatwin or didion did it they did it on purpose and it was art and i think my problem was that uh i i would probably uh insist that it was what was actually said uh, until someone played a tape back or something. I mean, that never happened, but, you know, like, it was like, no, no, no. And then, you know, two people in the room would be like, no, that's not what was, that's not what was said. Uh, <laughs> well, and I, I think in a way the point she's sort of making is, is well, for maybe for the most part, unless it's like an old family story, it's not for anybody else to say, what was true or what wasn't you know i think like she she makes a big deal out of the fact that her notebook keeping is for herself and she has a line near the end your notebook will never help me and mine will never help you i love that yeah that sense that a notebook is really only for you and whatever way it comes together it, it is to serve your own selfish purposes uh and you know she 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 mention, mentions the idea of uh, like self-absorption uh, and, you know, walking into a party, you're kind of trained to think, I'm the least interesting person here. Everybody else is so fascinating. But in a notebook, uh, you're sort of free to to follow your own self-absorption wherever you want to. Yeah, I like that line about how, uh, the, what is it, the... Um... You know, it's always I. I, I. I don't know. I didn't write that quote down, but it all comes down to I. Like when you're writing about what you've seen and if you've, you know, you're writing about someone you're looking at or something you've seen. And even though you're not writing about yourself, it is all like it's through your lens. So it is all about you. Yeah. There's yeah. this other, I wrote down this other line. Well, she said, she talks about how the notebook makes it all, it all comes, it all comes back. And it reminds you of who you used yeah. to be. She says, we forget all too soon the things we thought we could never forget. We forget the loves and the betrayals alike. Forget what we whispered and what we screamed. Forget who we were. And so I think as notebook keepers, we probably have strong opinions about notebooks. And, and that that passage was beautiful. And her style could compel me to believe anything. But if I don't, <laughs> uh, that it doesn't ring true for me. Right. Uh, and and so I started thinking about why that might be. And is it just like a beautiful line or, you know, could it be true to, for her? And I, and I looked up this essay was published in Holiday Magazine in 1966. So she's 31 or 32 when it was written. And, you know, I wonder if she would. I, I, you know, I wonder if once she lived a longer life 
if she would still yeah. kind of feel that way or you know like um is it like a i don't know i have i not lived enough life that i've reinvent <laughs> i haven't reinvented myself um <laughs> it, it, as as many times as she had by the time she was 31 that there's you know i've i've lived one life and she lived who knows how many by 31 so it's hard for her to keep track well, maybe but i think i think she makes a case even in this essay that that was her nature from the very earliest age she can remember was to be sort of drawn towards the the act of uh i don't know re- reinventing yourself on the fly on the page kind of thing you know a five-year-old who's imagining some strange you know scene you know the first thing you write down is a scene of someone thinking they were dying on an iceberg and it turns out they were dying in the desert i mean i don't think you have to live a one life or another if that is your compulsion and you do so on the page um you know maybe it's just that maybe that's just who she is to to perceive herself that way and the notebook her her notebook keeping practice just kind of reflects her actual nature which i think you know brings up the idea to me being so like like what's compelling to me is that notebook keeping can be a reflection of the individual and i'm reminded i i was just reading that piece in vanity fair today by lucy sante describing her transition um which you know relatively recent for a 67 year old person and just fascinating and beautifully written and one of the details that she mentioned was that in her life in her early life she never kept a diary it was because her mother was very exacting and would root through her room and just sort of search for signs of misbehavior or you know straying from the path and so she is she she got it in her mind that to write something down would be to to open yourself up to possible exposure and and so in a sense her perception of her lack of notebook keeping i'm sure she keeps many notebooks and research and whatnot but but obviously has this idea that to put something down on paper was the ultimate vulnerability and in a way that i think that you know that that provides the same mirror that that didion's trying to explore too it's like the way i do this is a reflection of how i see the world it's not necessarily separate from me uh, which i i find fascinating yeah and then another you know another thought like like i think there's so many great and maybe we could pivot into the the blog post but there's so many great perspectives on this that it's so cool to 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 um put them up against each other but you know didion has this idea that that nobody else my notebook is will be of no use to anybody it'll be meaningless or or you know uh uh devoid of of sense to anybody else uh, but then i was reading th- this um this long criticism on the on the bloomsbury group that i was reading um you know in this super insightful paragraph about about why there's this ongoing fascination with this group of people. I mean, obviously they're great writers and stuff, but there's a, there's a, you know, a churning of thought that continues the way that a few, few things, 
you know, maybe the Hemingway, you know, um, sort of myths come and go. And, and, and Janet Malcolm observed that part of the continued fascination is because each member of this group wrote constantly about themselves uh -huh. and their feelings and their sentiments and how they feel about other people and how they, you know, what they were happy with, what they were unhappy with. They just left this, this bounty, you know, they wrote memoirs. They wrote, there's all these, these novels. primary sources for people to go back to and write more about. And that is almost not that that's the end goal, but it's almost this repudiation of Didion's mindset. It's saying, you know, putting it all out there it gives gives humanity this sort of inspiring exciting thing to always draw from because they were so forthcoming um anyway really interesting to juxtapose that with this essay which is this kind of guarded you know like uh you know inward looking sort of questioning cynical idea of keeping a notebook yeah i you know okay so two things uh just the last thing about that didion thing that um about the didion essay that i just thought of that you know one of my reactions to it was like this i think it is that essay is mostly about her writing an essay for a magazine and basically using all of this material from her yes. notebook and just like luxuriating in it in a way that yes. is notebook keepers. I love like, it's no knock on it yes. at all, but I think that's really what it's about. Like yes. I can, I can use all of this stuff that, that, that she loves and she can share it and try to shape it into something. And then my well, other part, thought, part of, oh, go ahead. part of what, just to, to comment on that part of why she's such a genius is because she more or less says nobody else but me can appreciate these four details that my reader will just hang on absolutely right. every word and find utterly fascinating but poo poo those they're just meaningless <laughs> yeah and okay and going back to what you said about uh lucy sante not wanting to keep a notebook uh, earlier in her life it makes me think of Samuel Pepys, whose name I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing correctly, but he's not going to complain. Um, <laughs> and uh, in the blog post, uh, How to Keep a Notebook, that we worked on together, um, the, he writes, well, he doesn't write, he, he wrote his notebook or his journal, his diary about um, London at that time in a shorthand um, so that presumably so that his uh, his wife couldn't read it. So, mm. yeah. Sante could have had a code. Yeah, well, that makes... You know, you're reminding me of a... I think it was a This American Life episode in a segment in which um, a, a, whomever the story was about, uh, he kept a log of his life. Every Like, every day, he would log sort of events and goings-on in his, in his life, but it was through some sort of customized almost like morse code it would like if he saw a friend it would be a dot in red uh if he walked the dog it was like a line in black um and so he was lo he was logging everything very carefully but then to, to everyone else it was absolute meaningless dots and dashes uh 
but to him, and he was just for whatever reason, he was compelled to do this. It's um, great. Which is sort of like the shorthand in a way, I guess. I, I mean, I think did he, you know, what do we do with all of these notebooks is such an interesting question. I think for you and me, uh, the answer was clear. Start a podcast. Right. And, and soon a store. <laughs> uh, how many t-shirts, how many one-liner t-shirts is too many one-liner t-shirts? Right. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's always, I, I think she, she talks about, uh, you know, keeping on nodding terms with the people we used to be. The implication being you go back and read your old notebooks and in a way, that is a way you can use them, is to go and read them and, and stay familiar with your former self. My feeling when I read old notebooks is just how much I've forgotten. I don't, I, I, like you, I don't necessarily feel an older version of, or, or a previous version of myself, but I, I do feel a sort of overwhelmed. Um, it, it almost feels like somebody else, maybe, I guess, and maybe, shoot, maybe that's her point. You got me again, did you? <laughs> you pin you pinned me down. But I think, who wrote this? That had all the that, that knew all this detail. I don't know that it makes me feel a certain way, but it's certainly mildly alien, which is kind of fascinating to be able to write it in your own hand. Something even as I write these notes today, I know that ten years from now it it will feel somewhat alien, which is kind of a fascinating experience. Yeah. I I don't read my old notebooks often, but actually my old notebooks and reading them was, was part of the blog post and part of the creation of the blog post. I typed up a while ago notes from a, a notebook that was 20 years old. A professor of mine, and I was working for him at the time, Keith Botsford, had started like lecturing me about how to keep a real notebook. And I wrote down the notes that he um, gave me. And when I was looking to... Uh, write that blog post i uh i realized that the first note from him on keeping a notebook was exactly 20 years ago the day i was writing mm. it which was just bizarre um wow. and m many of and these are in the the blog post how to keep a notebook but many many a lot of his advice are echoed in these other writers who you've heard of like um sedaris and um Virginia Woolf would write well you know Virginia Woolf is a funny one because I I write about it all the there's a great quote I've got that I found about the, her writing character sketches which is what Botsford said to do and what uh Pepys was doing and um but she was also the part that I left out was that she was constantly writing about her feelings and uh not even wanting to uh, what was the point of the notebook and just didn't feel up for it. And then, you, you know, an another section of this blog post is don't write about your feelings. So there's a lot of, obviously there's, right. there's a lot of contradictions. Everybody's, everyone does yeah. things in different ways, but it was interesting to me to see that the advice that I'd got from Botsford 20 years ago and didn't, you know, thought about that and forgot about really uh, it's the, it's what other great diarists and notebook keepers did. Well, and I think the theme, you know, is to me less about here's how you should do it and more about isn't it fascinating how different people do this in a different way. And 
you know, their relationship to their notebook sort of comes to say something about their relationship to their art or to their achievement. I mean, the next, you know, iteration of this would be to find, uh, you know, five engineers and learn what kind of notes they take. I mean, I, you know, as I say that, I think of this neuroengineer at the university where I work who, when you meet with him, uh, he, he pulls out his iPad uh, and, a, and a stylus. And by the time the meeting is over, he has drawn several uh, pin neat and insanely descriptive diagrams of exactly the ideas that you've been talking about. Wow. Um, which is, I've, I've, the only thing I could compare it to is maybe is sitting down with an architect uh, when talking about a project and having them sketch out sort of uh, squares and lines that later become a house, which I had the privilege of uh, of doing that once in my life. Um, so, I mean, there's, I feel like there's whole other worlds even beyond kind of the writerly world, but but it's it's a fascinating lens into how people um, think about the world even, which maybe is why that Didion essay is so great. She's thinking about the world. We should talk just her art. Yeah. We should talk to people other than writers. That'd be an interesting project. Um, I, my favorite part of this blog post though, is this amazing Sebald quote that you found article that you found about like his, the teachings in his last year of class <laughs> that a couple of his students had get, copied down. Yeah. In this quote, yeah. I can only encourage you to steal as much as you can. No one will ever notice. You should keep a notebook of tidbits, but don't write down the attributions. And then after a couple of years, you can come back to the notebook and treat the stuff as your your own without guilt. And you know, 20 years later, uh, now there's this Sable bio, uh, biography that came out that tries to indict him for having done just that. <laughs> well, I mean what you you could maybe presume that he was living in a pre google world of uh you know putting a, a quotation into a search engine and immediately finding exactly where it came from nevertheless i think he would probably uh back the sentiment entirely and advise you to change a few words so that google couldn't find it as easily or something that's right uh that whole that whole document um it, it's, uh, I guess, just before he died, a couple of his writing students realized how special it was to be in a, a writing class with him, and they sort of whipped together um, some maxims. This was 2001, I guess, which so Google certainly existed. Um, but it's really fantastic. I Go over to takenote.space, our website, and check out the blog and find this post. And we'd be remiss if we did not mention... Um, um, John Dickerson and appreciate him for shouting out the podcast on one of your Mount Rushmore podcasts, Slate's Political Gap Fest. Yes, it was very, very special to me, not just because it was a plug. Listen to that for 15 years. Let's do this again, Ted. But before we go, uh, what notebook are you using and what are you writing with? I'm currently writing with the uh, Palomino Blackwing 811, which you may recall, uh, I wouldn't have if I weren't staring at it, is the New York Public Library edition where it's a glow-in-the-dark green with the gold oh, feral yeah. 
uh, that that simulates the uh, those the lamps with the green lampshades, which I still I, I I know everybody loves this edition, but it's really fun, and I, it's always fun to think about those lamps. Uh, I'm using the Mountain Gold Tomato edition of the uh, the Field Notes Harvest Notebook, so I switched over from corn to tomato. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, getting a little nervous. I'm getting down to the last of these. Might have to take a trip over to Drongles. So what are you writing in and with? I just started a Field Notes trailhead because I misplaced my last notebook. Maybe we can talk about that next week. And uh, not a lot of variety here. I'm using a Palomino Blackwing 2. Normally using a pen, but I'm using the 10001 edition, which is the... Um, the five-sided instead of six-sided pencil um, that's dedicated to the number game that I can't remember the name of. That's that's one of my favorite yeah. editions. That's probably my favorite, period. Yep. Good stuff. Um, I, I do want to quickly shout out uh, the Pilot Metropolitan. I needed a little change of pace today at work, and I'd been using... Uh, a disposable gel pen which i'm sure was fine but I, I needed to up it a little but not too much and the pilot metropolitan just gives you that nice fountain pen feel with no fuss and it always makes a good line the quality is amazing for the price so uh don't don't forget about your humble metropolitan in your collection um check us out on the internet at takenote.space there's some you can find this blog post that we have been talking about uh lots of other cool stationary and and life and world related content over there there's we got the web vault with links to a bunch of weird uh old not weird but old websites that do things the way they used to which turn out to be really fast and efficient and satisfying that's in our web vault uh, we're on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash take note pod. And in the meantime, take care. 